Amen. Well, good morning to you. If you have your Bibles this morning, and of course I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to a new book that we will begin this morning. A book with at least three different pronunciations. And we're going to settle with Habakkuk. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, do not feel guilt or shame or bad. Uh, about 87% of you do not know where Habakkuk is. It's uh, towards the back uh, portion of the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. And so just kind of thumb your way through there until you find it. Go to the table of contents, look up your page number. But do not, head your head, do not hang your head in shame either way. But hopefully after these next five to six weeks, you'll know where Habakkuk is. And more importantly, you'll know uh, the, the story of Habakkuk. And you'll know uh, all that is in, not all, but you'll know uh, a lot about Habakkuk. And uh, ultimately we'll see Christ in Habakkuk. Amen? Amen. Um, so Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Uh, we have been, it's not our first minor prophet to go through. We uh, went to the end of the Old Testament a few years ago to the book of Malachi. And this morning we turned to Habakkuk and be here for uh, anywhere from four to six weeks. Um, minor prophet, just in case you weren't here or you are not familiar with the term minor prophet, does not mean it's a lesser prophet, does not mean he's a short prophet, it does not mean his content is any less important. It just simply means it's a small book. Uh, as compared to uh, the five major prophets, uh, the Habakkuk and the other minor prophets, I think but I believe there's 12 of those, are just shorter in content, but of the same weight for all Scripture is inspired by God and good for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training uh, a person in righteousness. And so, uh, and more than likely, if I were to guess, uh, most in this room have never really read through Habakkuk. You know, maybe at best going through Scripture in a year, or in the case of our men's group, three to five years. Um, you know, you've read through Habakkuk at some point in a reading plan, but have probably have never really sat and studied uh, this little nugget found in the Old Testament. And so that's uh, our, our pursuit this morning, is to faithfully begin uh, this book. And so let's read uh, the introduction here of Habakkuk. Uh, some do pronounce it Habakkuk. Some, uh, one even pronounces it Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I can't even butcher it as well as he butchers it. Um, but who am I to crack on someone's pronunciation when I call it Esther? So, um, so here we are. So this great introduction, this lengthy introduction that we have in the beginning of Habakkuk to help us understand uh, the prophet, the content, the theme, and all that's going on in the, uh, the world of the time. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. There we go. That's our introduction to Habakkuk. That is our knowledge of this prophet of God, Habakkuk, is, uh, is that verse right there, that he had an oracle and that he was a prophet and that he saw it. And so uh, we don't have a whole lot about this prophet this morning. We know that he was a prophet because he said he was a prophet. We know that there was an oracle, a better word, a better translation of that word is burden. And so he had this burden from the Lord, and we'll see this morning, Habakkuk is written very differently than other minor prophets. Uh, this is not a, oftentimes in the prophets, they received a word from the Lord, and they would take it to the people of God, and they would, uh, they would declare, this is the word of the Lord, and they would bring this, this word to God's people. Well, we're, what we're going to see in Habakkuk, rather, is more of this dialogue. 
We're going to see these two complaints, if you will, and we call them complaints because Habakkuk is complaining. And he has has these two complaints, and God gives him these two responses, and we ultimately see this prophet uh, align himself, if you will, to the will of God. Uh, Habakkuk is a faithful prophet. And I think it's important to say, because as, especially as we start this morning, as we're going to begin and end this morning with his, with his complaint, that he is a faithful prophet. We see this kind of journey in Habakkuk, if you will, as he works through uh, the evil that is in his generation. And so here's Habakkuk. He's this prophet. That's about the only thing we know of him definitively. Uh, and I, I think it's important, as we often see in Scripture, even as we talked about in Hebrews, not knowing who the author was, that it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And so oftentimes we're, we're, it's great to know more about these writers that God used to write uh, his word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But one of the, the, the points there of knowing little about Habakkuk is it doesn't really matter. And even more than that, we're going to see that we can relate and we can understand and we can kind of feel what Habakkuk is feeling as we'll get into uh, verses 2 through 4 this morning. We're going to talk more about it later, uh, but Habakkuk, we believe, uh, it means one who embraces. It means to embrace or to enfold. Um, and so there's some other words there attached to that, but ultimately Habakkuk, we believe, means to embrace. And so what we're going to see in this journey of Habakkuk is we're going to see that Habakkuk, this prophet, this man of God, this follower, this, this member of the remnant, if you will, goes from complaining about God and complaining about God's involvement in, uh, in Israel and his involvement even in the world, his involvement in sin, and all the things that are happening around him, he goes from complaining about the will of the Lord to embracing the will of God. And that is the journey, I believe, for all believers, is that ultimately the believers, ultimately those who are truly in Christ, will embrace God. If you look to the Lord, if you trust the Lord, if you look to Christ, then you will embrace Christ. We talked about this last week in our Easter message, that ultimately to, to be a believer, you love Jesus, you treasure Jesus, you embrace Jesus, you desire Christ. And so that is the ultimate aim of all believers is to embrace Christ, to embrace God, to embrace His Word, as we'll see this morning. Uh, one author talks about his name. It says it describes Habakkuk not as a man who fights with God, but as someone who embraces God and his word and then consoles the people of Israel with the assurance that mercy follows judgment. And I love that. And there's this, this complaint here in the beginning. There's this difficulty we see in the first couple chapters. But ultimately, we see this assurance, this rest, that mercy follows judgment. So a little context, if you will, not a whole lot this morning as we look at Habakkuk. Uh, but when it was written, it's, uh, it's hard to say exactly. There's, uh, of course, as always, depending on who you read, they'll place it at different uh, points in history. But ultimately, most people would put Habakkuk uh, in the, the turn of around 600 B.C. Now, if you're not good with math, let me help you. That is about 2,600 years ago that this book was written. 2,600 years ago. 
that Habakkuk was written to the people of God, for the people of God, and it's still just as good today for the people of God. Of course, as we know, it's written to an original audience for, for an original purpose, but God has his truth in that that applies to us today, that we can see who God is and who man is in light of this text. And so this text that was written 2,600 years ago is still relevant and needed for us today. A little historical context of what's going on, and we'll talk a little bit about this uh, this morning and in the weeks to come. Uh, there is a lot going on, and so if you look, especially, and of course, whenever we think what's going on in our life, we identified that in the past week, right? I don't know if you're like me when I Google things, like I I, I tweak my Google to like what happened in the last seven minutes, right? <laughs> That's what's happening in my life in uh, the past days, weeks. But when you look at the context historically, especially in Habakkuk's time, it's not just what's happening happening that year but you look at the past couple decades and all that's happening in Israel all that's happening in the world around them in the political powers of the day in the ancient near east uh, and specifically, he comes kind of on the heels of King Josiah. And not to give you a long uh, history lesson of, of Israel and Josiah, but you know, as we always say, Israel's on this roller coaster, right, of following the Lord and not following the Lord. And so Josiah represented a time where Israel turned to the Lord. They found the Word of God, and they returned to the Word of God, and they, 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 they began to worship the Lord again and look to Him and trust Him. And then Josiah dies. It didn't take long at all for them to go back to their sinful ways and their rebellious ways, rebelling against God. And so Habakkuk is found kind of during this time, shortly after the death of Josiah. And it didn't take long, as we'll see, that sin again is found in the camp. That the people of Israel are again just, uh, it's, it's sin has been this cancer amongst the, uh, the, the visible people of God. That's what's important as you read through the Old Testament to remember that just because you're in Israel doesn't mean that you are trusting and following the Lord. That there are those who are born Israelites, there are those who are of the house of Israel, who are of physical descent of Abraham, who are, are not of the remnant. The remnant being those who believe and look to the coming of the Messiah. And so we'll see that there is, uh, there is a lot of sin in Israel. And so uh, in the kind of his, in the world around them and not just in Israel, uh, there is this shift of power. It goes from the Assyrians, uh, even Nineveh just recently has been destroyed, which is a big political power in the world at that time. The Assyrians were a big political power and both of these kingdoms are being destroyed. And guess who is being raised up? That's Babylon. And we know who Babylon is. And so Babylon is coming into power. And as they do so, as we'll see, God is going to use them, as we'll see uh, in this text, in this, in, this, in this book. And so Babylon's coming to power. And so as, as Habakkuk is talking to the Lord, as he is complaining this morning, we're going to see that sin, death, and destruction is not just found in Israel, but it's found in the world around him. He is surrounded by violence by sin, by suffering. And then as we said a while ago, kind of the what of Habakkuk, it's not this one directional message from God. It's not here's what the Lord says to the people, but we see this dialogue between uh, the prophet and Yahweh. And it's uh, the theme as we, as we think about Habakkuk, and this is important as we work through the book, that the theme of the book, as you see it in our, our graphic, uh, as we have it this morning on your worship handouts, is ultimately God's sovereignty. And guess what other book, uh, the theme of the book is God's sovereignty. 
the other 65, right? As we read the Scriptures, we read all of Scripture, we always see that God is completely sovereign. I mean, you cannot be halfway sovereign, right? Either you are sovereign and in complete control and have your hand over everything, or you're not. And if you are God, you are sovereign. So we see God's sovereignty, but specifically in Habakkuk, we see God's sovereignty amongst sin, violence, death, and suffering. So we see that God's sovereignty amidst and through sin and evil is what I would put forth as a theme of Habakkuk. Now, with that in mind, let's, uh, let's check out verses 2 through 4 here. We're going to camp this morning for a few moments. And I will say this, and I'll probably say it again at the end. This is a, it's been a difficult text to approach because this morning what we get is like the bad news. This morning we get the difficult side of a conversation. We get Habakkuk complaining. Now, how many of you like to hear someone complain? How many of you say, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to log on Facebook today because I just want to hear someone complain, right? And I'm going to just like camp and read. I'm just going to read. Oh, we do that, don't we? And we don't, we don't. We're not better for it, right? It's not encouraging to us. We don't enjoy truly listening to someone complain because it's negative. Now, we're going to see there's weight here. We're going to see uh, how, how God uses this complaint. But this morning, we're going to camp on the complaint and next week on God's answer. So if you're here this morning, you're obligated to come back next week, okay? Because they go hand in hand. You can't fully appreciate the complaint until you see God's answer. We'll allude to it a little bit this morning, but it's, it's difficult sometimes preaching uh, just the negative side, if you will. So let's read verses 2 through 4. We'll back up. So verse 2 of chapter 1 of Habakkuk. O Lord... How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. And so justice goes forth perverted. Let's pray. I want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for this text. I want to thank you for this book that we get to turn to afresh. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you help us to see not just the, the academic truth of Habakkuk. But would you help us to see... Your truth. Would you help us to see Christ? Would you help us to see our great need of a Savior? Would you help us to see that you are a just God? In the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. So we see in this passage, if you will, that right out of the gate, I mean, Habakkuk doesn't waste any time, right? He doesn't give you his resume. He doesn't give you any, you know, any context, background. Just says, hey, here's the oracle of Habakkuk, this burden that I carry, and this is what I saw. And then he goes right in to this complaint. Goes right into this complaint. And you can feel his utter frustration, and you can feel his desperation. How long, God, shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I mean, he's not asking right for a time. He's not asking for a schedule. God, how long do I got to wait? Can you just give me like a day and time? But it's this frustration of this unmet answer of the Lord. How long do I have to cry for help? How long do I have to call out for you to hear me? And not just hear me, 
Because he believes in the Lord, as we're going to see, and as we're going to look in a minute in, in, in Exodus, he knows who the Lord is. He knows that he hears him. He doesn't have a theological, doctrinal issue of can God hear him in his cry, as many of us do not. His issue is, Lord, I am praying, I'm crying out, I'm desperate, but yet I see nothing. He's been praying and crying out to God without any obvious response on God's part. And we understand this feeling, don't we? Imagine that all of us at some point in this room in different ways have been there. To pray and to cry out to God in a spirit of desperation in the midst of great difficulty and not to feel that God hears, much less answers, our prayers. And so here's Habakkuk in, the, in Israel when most of Israel is turning away from God. As you see, they're abandoning the law. They're not looking to the Lord. They're living according to their sinful fleshly desires. And here's Habakkuk crying out as a prophet of, of God's people, the Lord, would you do something? Would you save your people? Would you redeem your people? Would you judge? Would you judge the outsiders that, who are coming to uh, to attack us and uh, take us over, Lord, all this weight that he feels, and yet he doesn't feel an answer. And he's praying and he's crying out. And we have been there as we pray, as we cry out to the Lord. As we, we often point to, as we think about prayer, I believe it's important for us to be reminded of this often, that the primary purpose of prayer is not for God to fix our circumstances. I'll say that again for those in the back, right? The primary purpose of prayer is not for God to fix our circumstances. Well, then, John, why should I pray? I've got a problem. I pray. I expect God to fix it. That's logical, right? He's sovereign. He's almighty. He can do anything you want to. He's omniscient and omnipotent and, uh, uh, and, and omnipresent. He's all these things. He can do it. So why can't I just pray and he fix it? Because the primary purpose of prayer is to align our hearts and minds to the Lord. It is not for God to fix our circumstances. And that's just kind of indwelled in us, isn't it? And if you'll humor me for a second for a, a pop culture reference, maybe an illustration, is we think like this. Whether it's you go back to, to the old, old school of, of a genie in a bottle, right? And you rub the lamp and you want what? You want someone to pop out and fix your problems. Or we're in a superhero culture right now, and you, you flick on the, the bat signal, and what do you expect? Batman to show up and fix your problems. And my favorite, we've even gotten more, we have a more immediate need of a gratification with our superheroes. My family and I, we watch the, uh, the Superman and Lois, and they got a button now. And so if you're Lois, you have a red button. And so you just press the button, and Superman shows up to fix your problems. That's how we see God. Is I just want to press a button or, or rub a lamp or turn a light on or whatever it is. I want to pray and I want God to fix this because I don't want to feel this hurt. I don't want to feel this pain. I don't want to feel this suffering. I don't want to feel this disconnect from God. I need Him to fix my circumstance. I need Him to fix my problems. And if He doesn't according to our timetable and according to our plan, the way we think He should fix it, then we say He's not answering our prayer. He's not at work. We're going to see this next week when he says in verse 5, I am doing a work in your days. I'm not silent. I've not ignored you. I'm not checking on some other part of the world. That I am right here. And I'm doing a work. 
And so the primary purpose of prayer is not for God to fix our circumstances. The primary purpose of prayer is to align our hearts and our minds to the Lord. And we'll see this alignment take place here in Habakkuk in the next several weeks. God is always at work. He's always at work. And He is not slow in keeping His promises as some count slowness. And He's always at work ultimately for two things. Working towards His glory and the good of His people. And so as we go back to Habakkuk here, and he's crying out for help, and you don't hear me, you're not doing anything. He says, you will not hear me, and I'll cry violence, and you will not save. And then he gets very specific. He talks about this violence that is around him. Habakkuk says he is surrounded by evil and sin. He says this in 11 different ways. Can you believe this? In these two verses, in verse 3 and 4, he says in 11 ways, he highlights the evil and the sin that's around him. If you don't blame me, you can count it. He says, why do you make, maybe 10, I might have miscounted. So it's either 10 or 11, okay? Don't fact check me in. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong, destruction, and violence are before me? Strife and contention arise. And so these are the, the seven things here that we see, first of all. This iniquity, wrong, destruction, violence, strife, and contention, and iniquity. And then there's these four things that flow from that. The law is paralyzed, which means it's, it's cold and it's numb and that there is no power there. And they're not following it. And so as they're, as they're filled with violence and strife and contention and destruction and death, and then they're not looking to the law, not looking to the Lord through the law. They're not keeping the law. They don't have a desire for the law. It says justice never goes forth. So justice is broken. For the wicked surround the righteous. And finally, so justice goes forth perverted. Perverted justice. So he just lays it on thick. He says, Lord, as I am surrounded by sin and destruction and evil, this is all the stuff that I see. Violence, iniquity, wrongness, destruction, strife, contention. The lack of the desire for the law to keep it, to press on and persevere, to look to the Lord. The lack of justice in Israel. And we'll see it as we know that God is a God of justice. The unfaithful of Israel overwhelming the remnant of Israel. And you can imagine that weight, right? That you're in Israel, you're of the people of God. And then all of a sudden you look up one morning and, and you're, you're the smallest portion. Everyone around you, they're not looking to the Lord, they're not trusting the, the Lord. They're full of violence and death and destruction. And you have this perverted justice. And so here lies the heart of the angst of the prophet. Is that he knew who God was. But he experienced him differently. He knew who God was. But he was struggling with how he experienced God. Go with me to Exodus chapter 34. I believe 
Probably most of you know where Exodus is. If you don't, just go to the beginning of your Bible and turn one book over. Genesis and then Exodus. Exodus chapter 34. Two verses here, verse 6 and 7. One of the clearest passages that we see of who God is in the Old Testament. Moses is making the the new tablets here. All this stuff is happening. We'll just skip down to verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So the Lord is saying this. He is proclaiming. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So no perversion of justice. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so what we see, and, and Habakkuk knows this. He knows who God is. He knows the character and the heart of God, and he trusts that. He knows that he is a God who loves justice. He knows that he is a God that hates iniquity. He knows he's a God that will pour his judgment and wrath out upon sinners. He knows this, but yet his experience is different. His experience is he's in the midst of being surrounded by sin and evil, and it's going unchecked. It's going unchecked. And really, one of the the things of of Habakkuk is this... um, it's this idea, this, this term that we, 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 we call uh, theodicy. We talk about theophanies. A theophany is whenever we see the, the, the physical uh, manifestation of God, specifically in the Old Testament, or Christophanies, if you will. But, uh, but, but theodicy is whenever it is the answer to this big question that we have and the world at large has, that if God is all-powerful, then how can sin really exist? Because how can sin and evil, how can it continue to permeate the world? How can it continue to be all around me? How can it be and God still be all-powerful? How can Habakkuk be in the middle of all of this violence and death and destruction and iniquity and perversion of justice? How can all of this be if God sits on the throne? And so the answer to that, is what we're going to flesh out in the book of Habakkuk. And there are two books in the Bible that specifically address this. One is the book of Job, and one is the book of Habakkuk. And we chose the shorter one. You're welcome. So he's surrounded by evil and sin. And his angst, his frustration, his desperation comes from God. I know you can fix all of this. I know that you can bring your judgment. I know that you can save your people. I know that you, by your spirit, can can help us turn towards you. But why are you not answering me? Why are you not hearing? Why are things not changing? This is the struggle of Habakkuk. To know who God is and not to feel God's presence. To know who God is and not to feel His presence. And isn't this still our struggle today? Especially here at North Hills, we come every week and we gather, not just on Sundays, we we turn to the Lord uh, every day through Scripture, through prayer, through trust, through submitting our life to Him. 
And we trust the Lord. We know the Lord. We look to Christ as our Redeemer. as our Rescuer. as the Herald of the Good News. We know this. We know it not just intellectually. We know it in our heart. We know it to be true. But are there times in our life that we feel like Habakkuk, that sin and death and destruction and the evil all around us is just too much? And we're like, Lord, how can this be? How can, how can there be pain in the world? How can all this stuff happen that I see on the news? And even more personally, how can this happen in my life? How can I be experiencing this? How can I walk down this path of hurt and suffering and sickness and loneliness and isolation and all these things that we feel? How can my loved ones, how can my parents, my children, how can, how can they hurt and you be a good God? What are you doing, God? Are you even hearing me? Is this microphone on? And at some point in our life, maybe even this week, maybe even this morning driving to church, maybe you're overwhelmed with this sense of hopelessness, frustration, and despair. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? But He hears. He doesn't just hear us, but He cares for us. He loves us. And He's working constantly for our good and His glory. Even whenever we don't feel it. Even whenever we don't see it. So Christian, know this. When you feel that Christ is distant, when you feel that Christ is absent, know that He is very, very present. He is at work. He is and will always be on His throne. He is sovereign over all creation. And He draws near to us in our time of need. I know this is a a tough text to leave right here. We're going to leave it right here. And it may be good for us to feel the weight. Maybe it's good for us to identify with the complaint of Habakkuk. How long should I cry for help? How long till you respond? I cry to you violence and sin and evil. What is your response, Lord? But know this, in case you don't come back next week, and I want you to leave defeated, that Christ has overcome. And He has defeated. And it may not feel like it right now in this life. It may not feel like it in this moment. But our hope, Our hope is that Christ has defeated death once and for all and that He's coming back again to defeat it finally in its finality. To say it is over. He's already said it is finished. And that that payment, that penalty, as we come to the the Lord's Supper here in just a moment to remember that the broken body and the poured out blood of Christ, He has ended that. He has ended the guilt. He has ended our shame. He has ended the, the sentence of our sin because He has taken it on Himself. But He is coming one day and we will no longer suffer. We will no longer around us see evil in the world. We will no longer around us hurt. We will no longer around us have pain. But we will have the fullness of the joy of Christ. And so next week, we'll see God's response when he says, and just to preview, 
on next week's episode. Look amongst the nations, he says in verse 5, and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the beginning of this great book that we call Habakkuk. And Lord, I pray that in some way this morning we've seen Christ in the midst of our hopelessness, in the midst of our circumstances and our situations, that we see Christ and He is our hope. He is our strength. This morning as we have a chance to sing, as we have a chance to to come to the communion table, may we remember Christ, what He has done and what He has yet to do. And what He is doing even today in giving us hope in a hopeless world. As we have a chance to give, may we do so because Christ is freely and fully given to us. So thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for Christ. May we respond in faith in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray.